everyone ready? Everyone want to settle? Got, got their spot and a chair? We might begin. I'm worried there might be people wandering around. Is it? Are we missing anybody? No. All good. Okay. All right. I might just uh, say my name's Susan Lamarca. For those of you that haven't met me, um. I'm the Executive Officer of SLAB. I'd like to introduce Fiona Mulvaney, who wants to speak on behalf of um, the Grammar School first, so we might begin with that. Fiona. Welcome, everybody. Thank you all for coming today and um, coming and having a look through our library. So we'll have a bit of time after, from about 6 o'clock, if you'd like to have another walk around or if you've got any questions for any of the staff. So we're around this evening. Um, I've got another um, incentive. We've just actually, you might have seen if you've been in our uh, senior non-fiction collection, we've just changed some of our Dewey colour coding in there and we removed these lovely black and white ones and we did it because of information literacy because I know we're sharing this evening about that um, and we did it because we were finding that the girls weren't using our non-fiction so we thought we'd have one last blast at getting them into the non-fiction. Um, but we do have a whole collection of these that go into slots and um, I'm asking anyone if you'd like them for your libraries, they're actually beautiful, if you'd like them for your non-fiction collection, um, you can put in a bid um, and the money will go to the Indigenous Literacy Foundation. So, yeah, that money's not going to go fast. So just, yeah. Thanks, Fiona. Please enjoy the evening. Thanks, Fiona. Thank Lovely offer. Okay, welcome to the afternoon. Um, it's a pleasure to be here with you again for the second one of our reading forums partnership between Slab and the Kids Bookshop. Uh, Fiona and her wonderful team have also invited you to have a look around, so please feel welcome to do that later on, but just be conscious that there may be some students studying, if you be aware of the fact that they might be wanting to study quietly, so just be aware of that as you uh, wander around the library. We have uh, two other forums this year that you may like to also consider attending. In September, we're going to Ruth's lovely library, Ruth's here today, um, and our topic at that particular location will be genrefication. And in November, we are going to be using the Dream Factory, which is where Slav's actual offices are, and we'll be looking at current reading research. So please do join us. Uh, we are really pleased at the interest in this action-packed forum, approach to professional learning, and welcome your attendance, any ideas you might have for making the sessions better. We are recording all of the reading forums this year. We recorded the first one, and that's on our SoundCloud library. In the Slav e-newsletters that go out, well, I'll, in the next one, I'll be putting a link to this one and the previous one, if you're interested in listening to it again. But we're really wanting to make um, these forums available to those that can't perhaps make it on the night, particularly those in regional areas and so on. So, so that's another, another thing we're trying to do for you um, with the forums. Our overarching theme this evening is uh, reading promotion. <coughs> and the program looks like this. Um, absolutely action-packed and we have no time to stop to do anything at all. Um, everyone has a very tight schedule and I've already probably talked for too long. So very, very full and we're going to try and keep to our times as much as we can. First up is Rebecca Henson. Yes, I'm not already Julie. Julie looked at her watch. Um, first up is Rebecca from the Reading and Literacy Development. She's the Reading and Literacy Development Manager for Learning Services at the State Library of Victoria. And Rebecca's going to speak to us about the Inky website. Rebecca, wonderful. Thank you, You're very welcome. Hi, everyone. Thank you very much for having me come along to your meeting. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. And as Susan mentioned, um, 
I'm going to be spending the next few minutes telling you a little bit about um, the new platform that we've developed for the Inside a Dog website. Um, perhaps before I get onto that though, I will just say I am the Reading and Literacy Development Manager at the State Library and in my team I have the Centre for Youth Literature and um, the Family Programs team. So between us all, um, we look after programming for children ranging from babies right through up until young adults and we focus on trying to engage them in books, reading and storytelling outside of the formal education system and the curriculum. So it's rather nice because we get to just focus on reading for pleasure and a byproduct of that is um, any learning opportunities and literacy learning that we can encourage along the way. So on to Inside a Dog. Uh, how many people are familiar with the current Inside a Dog website? Can I just ask quickly? Okay, excellent. I'm glad to see that. As many of you may know, the Inside a Dog website has been an online home for young adult literature lovers for many years, but we're very excited to have been able to redevelop this much-loved website as it offers an opportunity to refocus the website on its core community of young people who love books, reading and stories. You can see from the screenshot here um, that it looks very different from what the existing website looks like. So I'm just going to spend the next few minutes showing you a few of the main screens so that you can get a bit of an idea of what's to come. Um, it hasn't been um, fully released yet, um, but we are working towards that. So as well as having a bit of a different look, a different design from the current version, uh, the new website has also got much better functionality. It's basically been set up as a blogging platform, enabling users to more easily share their writing and comment on each other's creative input and generally to participate in their bookish community. This aligns with the expectations of many teams who are used to seeing this kind of functionality on the other platforms that they use. So we wanted to make sure that the new version would, would be you know, part of their world and, and part of what they're used to, which is what the current website um, has gotten too old to be able to do. As I mentioned, the, you can see that the design looks quite different. We've tried hard to make it look a lot cleaner um, a lot easier sort of on the eye visually um, and hopefully um, the user experience will be a lot better for users as well. Even our little doggy, Inky, he's had a little makeover as or she, they, I don't know what the pronoun is for Inky actually, Inky has had a little bit of a makeover uh, because we, uh, when we did some research, the feedback that we got was that um, how Inky looks on the red and black website. He's, uh, he's quite jagged and, and you know, energetic and maybe even a little bit scary. So um, Inky's had a haircut and been to the hairdresser and, <laughs> and uh, been tamed a little bit there, but otherwise it's still the same. So Inky remains as the administrator and moderator, um, which is actually in fact the CYL team. And of course, Inky is the namesake for the Inky Awards. Our latest um, exciting development with the new website is that we've spent a lot of last year um, 
doing the research and and then um, completing the build. Um, and we were able to do that because we received funding from the Australia Council. So it was a real one-off opportunity because um, I, I don't, I'm not even sure when the last time Inside a Dog received a makeover, but I know it's been quite a long time, you know, several years, so it doesn't come around very often. So it's been great to be able to do this, but what we're now currently focusing on is we've got a website that's operating and we've got an early users group in the website trying it out um, and they're providing feedback as well. So they're using a beta version of the website. We know that there's still a few bugs to be ironed out and we're working on those and we're um, letting the teams get in there and have a good look around. Um, it's also an opportunity for the CYL staff to practice driving this version of the website as well because we're hoping to do um, a lot more programming through it than what we've been able to do through the existing website. Um, because it's essentially a blogging platform, we've been really, really mindful of online safety. So um, a key activity for the CYL staff is to act as moderators and, and you know, encourage an online safe space. Um, we've developed a set of guidelines and expectations <coughs> for online users um, because we really, really want it to be an online space where young people can come and participate and know that it's a safe space um, and just basically find their tribe, you know, those kids who love to read, you know, hopefully this is going to be a real destination for them to come and find other like-minded individuals and be able to have conversations with each other um, through the, the functionality that the new website affords. Um, what have I missed? Um, well, I better tell you about the early users group. Um, We've been accepting teams into this beta website um, through a process of expression of interest. So um, I've put the web link there, which I can supply to Susan later if you want to send it out. Um, happy to do that. Um, with the focus being on young users, um, we actually do stipulate that the new, or we've been, we've been stipulating that the new website <coughs> is for young people aged 12 to 18. Um, so we really just want to have the kids in there um, participating, adding content um, and, and using it as a place that's not necessarily um, got any connection, you know, direct connections with homework or, school. you know, it's meant to be for pleasure and, and for enjoyment but, and to um, do some of their own self-directed learning and, and to participate in the programs that we're going to run and so on. So um, if you do have any um, teams at school or any up-and-coming teams who you think would be interested to hop on and have a look, um, please by all means encourage them to um, get onto the um, State Library Victoria website, go to the Centre for Youth Literature page and then scroll down and you'll find the Inside a Dog um, link to the expression of interest form and then we'll be able to let them on once they've filled in the form that we need. So I've got a, the next few slides will just show you um, <coughs> um, just some other examples of some of the main screens. Um, so the content on the website has been arranged into four <coughs> areas. 
you might not be able to see it, but across the top we've got news, trending, books, Inky Awards, um, and help. So this is what the trending page looks like, and it's been designed so that um, when young users are in the website and, and adding their own content, um, stuff that's, that gets that receives a lot of um, comments or a lot of um, interaction will show up on the trending page. So it's their opportunity to shine there. Um, this is what the news page looks like. And this is where Inky and CYL staff can post news information on programs and other, date, uh, other updates. You can see that on these, all of these screens, the information's um, arranged in tiles, and these are actually blog posts. So it's, it's quite a different approach from what we've had previously. With the new website, registered users can set up their own blog and customise it to some degree using a palette of patterns and colours already provided and they can also add a profile pic or a profile banner across the top here. So um, we're really, as I mentioned, we're really encouraging users to participate. I mean, it's, it's an opt-in system. It's not if you sign up, then you have to participate. But um, for those kids who want to be able to upload um, their book reviews or, um, or you know, want to make a comment on some something that they've been doing in relation to their own writing or their own reading, then um, the way to do it is for them to set up their own account or their own blog. Um, and this is Inky's example, as an example. You can see that Inky um, has customised the profile page by adding all of the favourite um, cans of food there. Um, everyone gets to list the blogs, or it gets listed the blogs that they write for if that's if they want to write for any blogs and people can also upload their favourite books. So it just gives a bit of a flavour of who each person is um, if they want to. Uh, we've also still got the, um, the repository of book titles for anyone who wants to search for something to read or wants to read any of the reviews that have been uploaded. We've actually migrated a lot of the old content from the existing website across into this one so that we haven't lost any of that content, which is fantastic, and we'll continue to add to this book database um, as new books get released as well. Books have been organised into broad sort of subject or areas or genres, um, and there's a search function there as well. So users um, once they've created an account, they can upload their own book, book reviews if they want to, or you can just read other people's book reviews if you're searching for something. Of course, we've had to keep a page for the Inky Awards because it's such a um, flagship pro program for us. Um, so the Inky Awards, in effect, is a, is a blog as well. Um, so it's got its own page. Um, because we haven't actually publicly released this version of the website yet and we're not too sure exactly when we're going to be able to do it. I was just saying to Susan that there's a lot of stuff going on at the library at the moment and and it's sort of messing around with our timelines a bit for our projects and, and programs but anyway. Um, in terms of Fiddy Inky Awards, they're running as usual. Um, we've just um, received all of the judges applications and we'll be announcing the Inky Awards judges for this year next Thursday on the 17th of May. 
and then the shortlist announcement will be made on the 10th of August and the winner's announcement on the 2nd of October. Um, because the, um, as, as I mentioned, because we're not entirely sure when this website will become publicly available, we'll actually post essential information on the old website as well, because only early users can use this currently. <laughs> Um, so we still need to be able to provide that information elsewhere and we'll also provide information on the Inkey Awards through our other social media channels and our e-newsletter. So it just means that we just have to sort of have information in a few different places for now, but that's okay, we can do that. Um, so yeah, Inkey Awards are up and running for this year, so that's exciting. Um, also exciting is that we're running a pilot program called Shadow Judges. Um, we get so many applications for Inkey Awards judges each year, which is absolutely wonderful. But we wanted to be able to offer something a bit more. So the Shadow Judges program um, provides mentoring support to another group of teams. We've currently, um, we've just started this program and we've got 11 teams participating in it. They also went through an application process and had to get be selected. Basically, with the shadow judges, they'll read fewer books than the inky judges, and they'll have the opportunity to chat about the books that they've read in a private blog that will be set up on the new job, and um, they'll get to blog about the books that they've read as well into the broader online community of the new website. So it's an opportunity for uh, young readers who think they might be interested in uh, applying as an inky judge, but not too sure whether, because it is quite a, a commitment and you know, whether they're up for it or not. So they can kind of do the light version with the shadow judges. So um, as I say, it's the first year that we're running that. So hopefully that will go well so that we end up running it again in the future. Are there limits to the numbers? Yes. 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 So we've actually, we've selected the 11 teams that are going to be shadow judges for this year. Um, because they also get support from the CYL team and there's a bit of programming around that as well so it's it's tied to you know we want to be able to support them sufficiently as well unfortunately I can't tell you when this new website will be publicly available but it will be we, we want to make it as soon as possible but I'm just not sure when so it's a matter of watch this space unfortunately just keep an eye out on our social media channels um, sign up for our e-newsletter if you haven't already um, and then when it does become available, of course, um, we want adults to, you know, use the website as well, um, but just not as registered participants. You'll still be able to access the information and see what's on there, have a look at the book reviews, um, have a look at the other pages, you know, follow along with the Inky Awards updates and so on. Um, and of course we would absolutely love it if you continue to um, let your students know about the Inky Awards and Insider Dog and any of the Senate Youth Literature programs as well um, because you know we, we couldn't do it without you basically, we really need your support because it's hard to get to those teams otherwise. So um, the State Library is undergoing a massive building program, a uh, project called Vision 2020. So later this year it's looking like end of August slash September. We'll be closing the Swanston Street end of the library and the associated spaces in that end. And then opening at the other end, the Russell Street entrance and um, 
um, yeah, so that'll be happening later this year. Consequently, we'll actually be losing a lot of our programming spaces for about a year because it'll take about a year to renovate, uh, renovate, renovate the Swanson Street end. So that's another challenge for us, you know, in terms of um, continuing to run our programs is we've just got to find some other solutions and, and we probably actually won't be able to run as much, we, as much as what we might normally. And that's across the board, that's not just for my team. Um, but it's all very exciting. We're going to stay open. It's just, you know, you'll start to really see some changes soon. So please do stay in touch. Um, these are the ways and please do um, encourage your teams to register for the um, early users group for Insider Dog. Reading promotion. The right book in the right hands at the right time. I did have some research but I won't share any of that with you. It's all about building relationships and this is our first speaker. So, what we've got is we've got three um, very experienced teacher librarians who are going to take five minutes to share some strategies and ideas with you. And the first one is the wonderful Alison from Westbourne. <laughs> oh, sorry, you didn't, didn't want to go first? first? Your slides are first, my darling. Okay, right. thank you. So, five minutes. Okay, so as Susan was saying, I'm from Westbourne Grammar School over in Tasmania. Um, at Westbourne, just to give you a bit of background, we are a K-12 school. Um, and within that we have five libraries, five distinct spaces where we have books, store books, encourage students to read and loan them out. So we have a prep to year three over in Williamstown, a prep, well, a kinder to year two or early learning to year two, a three to six, a year nine and then a seven to twelve, which actually also services the year six students. So it is a lot to keep on top of. Um, one of the things that we wanted to talk about, because these, we call these flip cards. Some of you may have seen them before. Has anyone seen these, read about these? We've talked about it a bit before. Um, basically came out of the notion that we as teacher librarians were trying to stay on top of our collection. Um, as you would all know, some people read from different areas to others. And then we thought, well, why don't we have something that we can just flip through? And we thought, well, why don't we put them out so the students can use them? And it's this been this wonderful thing that we really love at Westbourne of students leading their own discovery of books. So as you can see, each one, we do them along genres. We also have one for like year 10 challenges. Uh, so books that are just a bit more challenging for those students who want to push themselves further. Um, and it really is fantastic because students can use these within our reading class times. But you also see them using before school, at recess, lunchtime. So they really just walking along and clicking through and there they are, they can see books. So got sort of the shelf location, information about the book. Um, and one thing that we've also been doing is we've got, as you can see up the top, the yellow circles and the green stars. So at Westbourne we do use the solo taxonomy and this is our sort of way of trying to ease into that. So you've got yellow zone thinking and green zone thinking which is sort of pushing yourself out a little bit further because I'm not the expert on it. So for us, we put created these so that something with a green star is just to suggest to students, this might be a bit more of a challenge for students at this year level. And we're constantly having discussions with students saying, what is a challenge for you may not be a challenge for the person next to you, or maybe that extra step. So really just suggesting to them, but allowing them to guide their own reading as well. Um, so, one thing we do find is that the flip cards, it is a constant, continual process. So trying to update it constantly. As you're getting in new books, 
even taking out some. So we might find that books get published that actually it's the same theme as this one, but it's better. So we sort of shuffle them along a little. So, and updating how they looked. So how they look now is actually quite different to how they looked when we first started doing them. Um, but we actually do have these at multiple campuses. So I myself work predominantly with year five to year eight. So I work across two different libraries and I do know one collection better than the other. So it is even handy for me to be able to go to the three to six library, have a student ask for something specific and say, well, have you looked through this book card? Or have you had a think about what sort of genre you would like to have a read of? So that's just one of the things we really find that sort of helps students to lead their own reading, but also we can pick one up if we have a student come up and say, oh, I want to read sci-fi, damn, that's not my genre, pick up the flip card, flick through it and say, well, how about this one? So it sort of jogs our memories as well. A really big thing for us is the strategic promotion. So having a think about what we are displaying and how. Um, so in semester one, our year sevens actually do an overarching unit from term one and two called Rebels and Outlaws, in which they study The Outsiders and then run up by Robert Newton. At the same time, our year eights have just started doing The Giver, so Lois, Lois Lowry. So we thought, well, sort of the theme within these is rebels. And so we've sort of done a display about rebels, so books with different rebellious characters, or as you can see, about rebellious people. So we've got Malala on there and we've got various other stories. Um, and we will actually be tying this into one of the promotions we'll do in class time as well. So we've got the posters there and then we'll be doing the promotion. My next picture shows this better. So also keeping an eye on trends. So we got a really excited about the Wrinkle in Time movie coming out, which is apparently really, really bad. But um, <laughs> so we decided to push ourselves a little bit and to do a science fiction display and specifically time and space. So as you can see here, this is a big display we've got in our reading area. Then currently we are actually promoting that. So to tie all that in together, this is an example of some of the PowerPoint slides that we show the students, sort of, about the different books. But at the same time, the posters near our reading area have those same books on them. We're lucky enough to have a couple of panels within the library, and we utilise those as well. So the students are seeing these same books everywhere, even before we have the classes. And what we really find about tying in our presentations to what we have on the display board is that it's still there a few weeks later. So students can come up to us and say, you spoke about that book last lesson. It was something like this, or it had a red cover. Which one was it? And we can sort of look at the, look at the display and show them. So it's still keeping those books in their mind even weeks later. Um, and then finally, and I'm almost done, just being really excited about things we find is fantastic. It's what we're here for. We love books and sharing that with students. We had an instant, instance lately uh, and I am um, actually stealing this from one of my colleagues, but she recommended a book series to a year 10 girl who sort of said she wanted something about realistic fiction. Not the best book series in the world. Definitely not quality literature. A little bit Mills and Boons for teenagers. Um, this girl hadn't been reading very much at all. And then when she came back into the library, she devoured the first one, oops, in pretty much two days. And in the last two weeks, she's read the whole series of four. And um, so she was a bit guilty about it because she wasn't sure that this was really quality literature. And just us having that conversation with her and saying, well, we love it. Like, we know it's not the best thing out there. There are other things we want to push into next, but we still think it's fantastic. And so she's act that girl's actually gone away 
and has been talking to other teachers about this fantastic series she's read, to other students as well. And we do know that there are books we can push her with next time. So just sharing that we love something even when we know that it's not the best thing out there. And I get that little bit of a guilty twinge when we talk about it. But just being really genuinely enthusiastic and being enthusiastic when they enjoy it, no matter how good it is. Thank you. Marissa is uh, one of the wonderful teacher librarians here at Ivanhoe Girls. So do you want me to skip to your first slide and then Thank you. She tells me she's going to get through all of these in I five am, minutes. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm going to love a photo. 5.31. I'm watching. Right. So I'm just going to focus basically on uh, promotion of reading in the junior area of the library. So one of the most obvious things, obviously, is to provide beautiful opportunities and spaces uh, for girls to enjoy books and reading. I'll go the right way. So. Um, we try and do that wherever possible. So you can see we've got lots of little nooks and spaces where girls can curl up together or on their own and enjoy books. Also the time. So we, are, we actually have a screen-free day once a week in the junior library to give kids a balance of um, screen and on-screen time. So that was today, um, every Thursday is uh, screen-free time. We chose that in consultation with the students but also because homework is due on a Thursday, so they don't have homework, so they don't actually really need to be on the screen if they don't want to. Um, we are also open before school, after school lunchtime, so that gives them time. We have our beautiful reading pods, buddy reading times are also popular. We had um, last year for the first time, and we'll probably do it again this year because it was so popular, a whole school drop everything and read time during book week where every girl at the start of the week um, and student and teacher had to make sure they had a book with them at all times and they kept their bookmark in their book and if they heard the bell, the library captains would wander around the school ringing a bell. If they heard the bell, they had to drop everything and read and hear us and girls who were doing yoga at the time. They dropped everything and read. Oh, that's and PE teachers too were involved in it. It was beautiful wandering around seeing um, the drop everything and read time. So, and a lot of class teachers said, can we continue doing that? Of course you can. Like, <laughs> so uh, that was a really good promotion. And buddy reading time. So we have cross-age buddy groups and they often use the library together for buddy reading. I also like to introduce um, stories to and, and books to the staff. So quite regularly I will ask for a chunk of time in a staff meeting to actually have a story time with the staff and share with staff either excerpts from a novel, novel or read a picture book or a non-fiction book to them. So there's some more beautiful buddies. Um, also, of course, we all know guest authors are a really powerful, um, powerful thing to have. So here we have the lovely Deb Abella. As soon as we have any guests, the books just fly off the shelves. So they're, they're really popular. Um, so we try and get them as, as much as we can. And I know it's a big expense, but I think it's a really good investment. Um, it's always very exciting and really a valuable experience. Um, that was just last week, the beautiful Zoe Daniel, who's the ABC US Bureau Chief in Washington. She's just written the latest, it's a proof of it, so you're not allowed to take that, but it's her latest book that's about to come out in September, I think. So she was visiting last week, just for a few days. 
We also have um, promote the reading challenge really widely in the junior school and the staff are also encouraged to uh, register. And we also have it as a house challenge cup. So um, they're not only helping themselves to, if they take on the challenge, but they are helping their house possibly win the cup, which gets announced at the end of the year. So, so I make sure we have books all the time set out from the reading challenge uh, because there's so many. I don't put stickers on them, I just, you know, vary the displays all the time. Of course, the power of the display is really uh, important. So book displays all the time on different things. So at the back of the room, we've got some travel books, um, having face out dis displays wherever you can. We're really lucky we've got such a huge collection that um, sometimes our shelves are a bit tight, but wherever can we can, we have, we squeeze in face out books. Um, and at the moment, as you can see along the back, I've got all the notable books out with little bookmarks in them. Um, encouraging them to be borrowed and the girls are uh, accessing them. Um, we have things like the Our Australian Girls series and the girls make their own covers and having displays of those books. It's a lot of fun. Uh, we had a top 10 um, author display a couple of years ago and it was really interesting because they were all Australian. So the top 10 frequently borrowed authors were all Australian and about seven of them we've had visit the school. So there's the power of authors. <laughs> um, and your display on your um, OPAC is also a really useful tool as well. And we also have um, regularly, well, book week, we have, leading into book week, we have a book trade <coughs> competition. So um, that really sparks heaps of interest. We have focused it in on just the short list of books, but you know, you could do it with any books. And so the kids are encouraged to enter. And then we have a, a little film festival where we watch all of the films um, in our beautiful lecture theatre. So it makes it really special, like going to the movies. And um, yeah, and it's all, all about books and loving books, and that sparks lots of interest too. So there you go. My name's Rena Fung. I'm a teacher librarian at Ivanhoe Grammar, which is just down the road. It's a co ed um, school. I have year eights for reading group, and I don't know about you, but I do find it a challenge to um, get students interested and engage in reading. Um, I feel that reading is in competition with a lot of things at the moment, um, you know, a lot of homework, extracurricular activities, sports, and then on top of that, it's their screen time and social media. Okay, so at Ivanhoe, we're always trying to find ways to um, get them interested and engage in reading. So this is what I do with my year eights. Um, I challenge them to read in these um, outside the box. So the aim is to get um, all 25 boxes done. They do look like they're quite um, difficult and it's not achievable, but it is. Um, that picture book can be done in the first lesson that I have with them, as well as a book you can read in a day or two and the graphic novel. So they'll finish that in the first lesson that I have them and then they'll borrow for these two or some of them might even get that done as well in that lesson. So this is an example of one student's work where she did get all the stars for all 25 boxes. And um, the rest of my reading program um, revolves around these different boxes. So um, I would have books on display, books made into movies for them every fortnight that I see them. Um, when we look at award winners, then I would um, integrate the Inky Awards, the CBCA, um, get them interested and applying to be Inky judges. Um, poetry and verse novel, we do blackout poetry for that one. Um, 
Yeah, so there's all different genre that they can read in, but the aim is to get every box done. Um, on top of this challenge, to get them interested in reading and engage, we actually do um, the Million Word Competition, where every single Year 8 class will read to see which class gets the most words. Um, they really love this competition, they really get into it, and um, this is the slide that I present to them. It is in a lot of details, but um, I won't go through all of them. Basically, students need to read a book within the three months, go on SurveyMonkey, put up what they've read, work out the word count for that, and then I do the tallying up of all the words. Okay, so that is the link, the SurveyMonkey link that they need to go in to report their book. That is the link that they need, um, that actually does the word count for you. And if the book is not on that link, they need to work it out. Um, the competition actually requires them um, to have these three qualities, so commitment to actually um, to the challenge, um, teamwork because it needs every single person in the class to put up one book in order for the class to win, and integrity, doing the right thing, meaning that you have to actually read the book to put it up. So it's all that quality that we talk about. The winning class and five avid readers from the rest of the um, other year, year eight classes will get a morning tea as a reward um, close to the end of term. And that was the winning class last year and you can see there all the year eights and the avid readers enjoying their morning tea. Sorry, I'm going through it very quickly and as you can see, it is a lot of work because I do have to tally up all their word count. Um, yeah, so it does go um, over a million, um, but the highest class is not necessarily the winning class. It's the class that has every single student putting up a book. So you don't have to have the highest word count. It, it's not about that. It's about the teamwork and every single person in the class putting a book up to win. Um, other things that we do to get kids interested in reading is battle of the books. Um, we started that last year and we will do it again. So basically it's uh, three rounds and there's eight different types of books that kids need to read and vote for this next round, the third round, and then eventually the winning round, which is, um, we usually um, end it at the end of book week in August. And something that we started this term um, is the library house points for this term and next term. It's not a one-off event. It's an event that keeps going for the two term and it awards um, kids who go above and beyond. Okay, so you can see there. So they can get a gem for their house for writing um, exceptional book reviews or writing in-depth reflection in their journals. So I'll award them a house gem if they do those things. And then there's other activities throughout book week and library and information week that's coming up. If they participate, then they'll get a gem for their house. That's it. Am I wonderful? Perfect. <laughs> Thank you, Rena. That's fantastic. So many wonderful ideas. And now, quickly before we move on to our next guest, I just wanted to mention this to you. Um, the a little while ago, uh, we were offered uh, the opportunity to interview Claire Atkins, um, who's got a new book out at the moment, the name of which I've forgotten. What's it called? Between us, thank you. Um, so we actually took her to University High, University High and. Uh, four students from University High interviewed her. We've made it into a little video, and in the next e-newsletter, I'll send out the link to that as well. I think it'd be a great thing to show your students. 
she's very, um, very intelligently answers a series of questions from those students, goes for about 10 minutes. So another really good reading promotional idea, I think. Um, I'm sure we all use lots of video in our classes. Okay, we now have our special guests for the afternoon, and we need to drag over a couple of chairs. Oh, Marissa, would you? Chairs, excellent. So if um, we've got Simon Barnard and Jane, uh, Jane Pearson, if they could come down to the front. And while they're doing that, I might begin the introduction so that we can keep on time. Trying to fit in so much. So our special guests this afternoon, over. Yep. Uh, from text publishing, Simon Barnard is a writer, illustrator and collector of colonial artefacts. His first book, published by text, The A to Z of Convicts in Van Diemen's Land, won the Eve Parnell uh, Award for Information Books in the 2015 CBCA Awards. His most recent book, Jailbird, The True Story of William Swallow, Convict and Pirate, is a 2018 CBCA notable title in the Picture Book of the Year category. Jane Pearson has been a senior editor at Text Publishing for 10 years. She has been the editor of several award-winning books and is a key figure in Texas YA and Children's Publishing Program. Jane has been Simon's editor since his first book in 2014. So this section of our program is an in-conversation between these two wonderful people. Enjoy. Thank you. <laughs> well, thank you very much for having us. Uh, we're going to talk here across the um, interesting material on the floor, which um, uh, Simon will display at the uh, right time. I'm sure it's intriguing you at the moment. It's intriguing me. Um, I thought I would just start with a little, uh, a little bit about this book, The A to Z of Convicts in Van Diemen's Land. It's the first um, book that Simon has done. Um, it is absolutely jam-packed with the most amazing information about specifically convicts in Tasmania, but a lot of the information um, applies to convicts everywhere. Uh, it came into text um, in what we call the slush pile, um, an unsolicited manuscript that just kind of blew our minds. Um, it's full of the most meticulous uh, research, the most incredible detail in all of the... Um, illustrations. I'll just show you a bit there. So um, I'm going to start by asking you, Simon, um, this looks like the life's work of someone who would be, you know, sort of at least 60 to have <laughs> amassed all this information. So tell us a little bit about the, um, the research that you've done. Well, I grew up in Tassie and was very interested in the comic history and the books that were available to me when I was a boy. Um, they didn't really have much visual, visual interpretation or representation of the history. A lot of them had the same photos over and over. So I really wanted to try and bring what was there to life. So I spent, yeah, I spent a very long time uh, with all this stuff. And to try and make it as authentic as I could, I uh, spent a lot of time with the museums and uh, academics and had stuff made. So, for instance, this is a convict uniform that's been made of for of an original in New South Wales. And I collected a lot of stuff. So leg irons and uh, all that stuff. So off you go to the other one. So these up and down straps to hold leg irons up and the gator up there had these made off, off an original in New South Wales. And it helped, uh, it helped the interpretation. It helped just the greater understanding of it all. 
May I spend a long time doing that? Um, so I, I know that um, there are these things called the black books. Yes. Um, yes, so whenever, so yeah, whenever a convict arrived, their information was detailed in a series of registers known as the black books. And that contains an account of the convict's uh, physical description, but also a brief uh, uh, record of their criminal history, and then their ongoing criminal history, so any offences committed within the colony. Um, and they're beautiful, but they're very, very hard to read, so it's um, all handwritten copper plate. So I spent a lot of time in those as well, dragging out the information and, and putting that into that book. So um, Simon has not only gathered this information and written the most um, fascinating copy, which includes a, lo a lot of information, but also little stories, personal stories of the particular <coughs> convicts along the way. And one thing that I found just completely astounding working with Simon was he wouldn't let me change anything to do with these illustrations because every single detail is accurate to the record that um, yeah. he was looking at. So any tattoo or any mark or any particular um, physical look of them, that was yeah, what so you we, see is we knew the convict's height and hair colour and eye colour and all that sort of stuff. So I incorporated as much of that as possible. Um, similarly, in um, um, illustrations like this, um, the detail in the boat is all historically accurate. Yep. Yes, for, for certain things, um, there were architectural plans or detailed plans of the, uh, of the structures. But with this one, this was difficult. I didn't know much about boats, but I had uh, some help from the National Maritime Museum in, in trying to get all of that authentic. But yeah, I mean, I just look at it as just horrible memories. You know, so <laughs> long. This is um, this is one of the work stations and also punishment, I think, or um, yeah. a treadmill where all these people here are. Um, standing and walking upstairs on this rotating sort of stair thing to, to turn a mill. Um, the most exhausting and hard work and then they'd get a little spell waiting. And this is all um, um, completely accurate to the um, building plans to make that, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah, there were plans made of the wheel in the 1840s which I was able to replicate. and. Um, yeah, so I mean this clock registered how many, how long the wheel would spin, how many hours a day and, and then this, this area was for, for non-convicts, just offenders within the colony. Um, and you know, we just, as growing up, I mean I read about the treadmill, but I didn't, I had never seen one. And uh, it, was, it was a real privilege to be able to, rep to represent this stuff and, and incorporate it into the book. So this, uh, this book, the A to Z, is is a big book um, and there's a lot of fantastic um, illustration and detail in there. Um, Simon's next book, uh, Jailbird, is equally um, historically accurate. Um, this is the story of a convict turned pirate. Do you want to tell us a little bit of this story? Yeah, well, uh, the pirate in question, this guy or bird, is called William Walker. He was transported to Van Diemen's in 1821. He was a sailor. He escaped several times. He was a, a notorious absconder. He managed to return home twice. And in 1829, he seized a ship with a bunch of other convicts. And 
I was really taken by this because as a kid I was amazed that there was um, convict pirates that I hadn't heard about, you know, I heard of this stuff elsewhere. And, and then as I got older I wanted to do something with it but I couldn't really figure out uh, what to do with it. But William Walker changed his name to William Swallow and he escaped on the Cyprus and his main nemesis was another convict called John Popjoy. So I started putting that together and uh, a man who his name was Walker changes himself into a swallow, escapes in a cypress, which is a tree of course, and um, is brought undone by the testimony of a very talkative convict whose name is Popjoy, which is an archaic name for a parrot. So I figured if I could get this sort of allegorical stuff together, I might be able to turn it into, into the book and uh, manage to do it with, with Jane's help. <laughs> Hardly. Um, so as you may have gathered, um, rather than presenting um, this story in, um, in one historically accurate way, Simon has chosen to present the characters as birds. Um, there you'll see the cypress, the ship, and these are all the convicts that um, mutinied and took, took the ship over. So there's quite a, a different feel to this book. And quite a different um, appeal to kids because at first glance this isn't about Australian history, this is just a fun cartoon uh, book. So there's quite, it's not just that you've shown them as birds, this is like Looney Tunes. Um, yeah, well part of my interest in all this stuff is the interpretation. So it's not just what we read, I think it's how we read. So for this particular story, um, it seemed uh, this sort of style was more applicable. So to bring it, you know, to, yeah, so it was very Looney Tunes inspired, unlike the last one, which is much more realistic. Mm. But I, I think that the interpretation of the history is, is, is crucial. So if we can find a way to do it to suit certain stories or whatever, we probably should roll with it in that way. Mm. So how, um how did you find William Swallow in the first place? Yeah, and it's it's well known. It's um, it was a big deal at the time, um, and it's been a it's, it's a it's an important part in our history. So, William Swallow was the inspiration, partly inspiration of Marcus Bart's book *Tell Me His Natural Life*, and other convicts were greatly inspired by his Swallow's escapades and escape. Uh, he died at Port Arthur in 1834, but another convict so taken by Swallow that he wrote a song about uh, the Ballad of the Cypress, it's called. And so convicts were inspired by Swallow, by the thought of Swallow, through this song, which is, uh, which, which is great. And I really loved that as well. This sense of freedom embodied as a bird, or as Swallow embodied, and then extending beyond his death and inspiring other convicts. I, I thought that was, um, well, I thought that was really special, actually. So I tried to bring that into the Yeah, yeah. So he's quite out. Not only is this the most kind of madcap rollicking adventure that you would hardly believe was true. It's, it's, it's um, you know, it, it, he travels the whole world. He, um, he gets caught. He escapes. Um, uh, all sorts of um, action and adventure going on. Um, he's just forgotten what I was going to where I was leaving there. <laughs> Uh, but the character of Swallow himself and his um, 
uh, ability to manipulate his own story is really something I was very taken with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He got away with it, which was unusual. Yeah, he was a clever guy. So they um, swallow, who's down here in the little um, tender at the moment, um, and and his crew of fellow mutineers take the Cyprus and they want to get back home and end up sort of travelling the world. The poor old Cyprus, which is actually one of my favourite bits of the story, doesn't fare too well and um, <laughs> maybe the, the pirate convicts weren't, uh, weren't that um, meticulous in their uh, scrubbing of the decks or whatever, but it, um, it, it didn't fare too well. But this, uh, is, is this somewhere off the coast of China or, or right. Japan at this point? Yeah. Um, and there was an interesting uh, link with Japan. Yeah, recently they found that a Japanese samurai had recorded their visit when they when they were in Japan and made these beautiful illustrations of Swallow. Uh, so that, that came to light last year, I think. It was, it was amazing to think that um, that it, this also affected another whole culture. So it was really really great. So um, as well as this, this fantastic story of um, of Swallow and his escapades. Um, there's, there's a second narrative running through here because when they take the um, when they take the ship, um, they set down the original crew and any convicts who didn't want to take part in this on an island and just kind of dump them there uh, and then take off to sail the world and, and get back home under their false identities and whatever. Um, what happens to the people left on that island is kind of critical to Swallow's story later on. And, but it does add um, quite a, a difficult complication to what's essentially a picture book here. Um, Simon had the most, well, kind of straightforward but also innovative way of dealing with that. So do you want to talk a bit about that? Well, Popjoy, uh, the pirate guy, uh, his story is, is also interesting. And so to try and bring them together, I ran the second narrative down the bottom so we get, we get his story at the same time, and then when they meet up again um, later on, mm. um, the stories merge. But I forgot to say that the, the rest of the crew were called jailbirds. So there's a lot of slang spoken in Australia at the time, and convicts were called jailbirds. And they're also called canary birds because of the yellow uniforms they wore. So that was the representation there. Mm. Mm. So Popjoy. Um uh, Swallow is back at the Old Bailey in, in England, in London, um, convincing everybody that he's completely someone else and has has uh, just been an unfortunate sailor that's lost his ship and he's come home and he's just on the verge of getting away with it all in this fantastic courtroom scene um, when unfortunately Popjoy has made it back, reported the actual story and... Uh, it's <laughs> looking like curtains uh, for course. Well, I don't think we'll spoil what happens at that point. <laughs> anyway, back to the fantastic ship. Not long after um, its bedraggled state there, uh, it ends up on the bottom of the sea. So um, just to give you a sense of the fantastic um, uh, life and colour that, that Simon's brought to the illustrations of this. this I should say when I did this drawing, it didn't have this external artwork outside of the border, but Jane, she wanted that. She was <laughs> like, you should, you should extend it. So I had to go and match all these colours 
and draw all this stuff all on the outside. It took, it took ages. I kept him on his toes. He does call me the monster at times. So. <laughs> she was right. I did agree to come to this. It did look better. Um, now, I, um, we have uh, brought three copies of this book, if anyone's interest is piqued by our little chat, um, to give away. Some of you may have already received a little um, form to fill out. If you would like to pop your details on there and give, the, give your forms either to me or Shalini over in the back corner over there, we'll um, shuffle them up and draw out three names and you can take a, a copy of this uh, fabulous book back to your libraries um, and have this wonderful way to introduce kids to a great story and a piece of um, Australian history uh, that might just spark an, an interest in a new area of building. So, um, uh, and of course, if you don't win one, please feel free to buy one. Fantastic. Thank you very much, James, Simon. Ten books in ten minutes. The first one we're going to talk about is The Dog With Seven Names. It's available to pre-order for July. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful read. Our protagonist is Princess. She's the runt of a litter offspring of an Australian terrier and possibly a dingo. The story spans the time frame between October 1939 and August 1943, with an epilogue eight years later. Princess, or one of the other name, seven names she's known by during World War II, beautifully captures the humanity of war as perhaps only a dog or a child can. It's very Australian and nostalgic. She's a lovely vessel of empathy in a way, in the way she reads humans and interprets situations but based on her view of the world. Young readers will be able to appreciate how lives were impacted in North and Western Australia during the war as she provides comfort and joy to many who were dramatically affected, all while yearning to return to her life before the war and her first owner, Elsie. Despite the ease of reading for this one, I wouldn't say it's only for younger readers. The themes are universal, and I'd even give it to a year 10 history class to accompany their study of World War II, because it's, um, it's not patronizing at all. Uh, the next one, good, we're on track. Flying tips for flightless birds. Um, Finch and Birdie are inseparable twins who perform the trapeze for their family's circus school. When Birdie's seriously injured in a trapeze accident and lands in a coma, Finch has to work out his own place in the family circus, navigate the school bullies without his trusty sidekick, and maybe even trust someone else to create a new double act for the circus. Um, it's got an understated coming out storyline along the way. McCoffrin paints a colourful world for a boy to find his own place, except himself and others, and possibly even get his big showbiz ending. I loved it. Despite the bullying and the trauma of Birdie's accident, it felt very safe. Finch's family is unconventional but solid and supportive throughout, and I recommend it for any ages, again. Okay, next one. Price Guide to the Occult. And my 14-year-old self was in heaven with this book. After hearing about the vengeful magic of Rhoda Blackburn tying her family's fate to <coughs> Nakamore Island for the next seven to eight generations, we jump to the present seven generations later. 
where Noor Blackburn could really do without the family curse of supernatural powers, much preferring to be unremarkable. Unfortunately, her mother doesn't share her desire, has worked out how to capitalise on her powers, feeding her sociopathic nature and leaving a path of destruction behind her. Of course, only Noor has the power to overthrow her mother and stop the destruction, and it's the best. Throughout the story, Walton weaves in some serious themes, showing the impact of dysfunctional mother-daughter relationships, the strength of women, especially when they support each other, and there are also some references to self-harm, which is not glorified, but could be triggering. Overall, it's the good overcoming evil that stands out as the overarching theme of the story. I know there'll be heaps of kids who'll love it, and there could possibly be a sequel. It kind of looks like there's room for that, so that would be good. Small Spaces, uh, a psychological thriller, and really effective. Tash is still haunted by childhood memories of a terrifying imaginary friend who lured a young girl away from a fun fair. Now a teenager, Tash suffers from extreme anxiety and self-doubt, both of which are triggered by the return of the family of the girl she witnessed disappear. Despite years of counselling, Tash still has a strained relationship with her parents and peers, having garnered a reputation as an attention seeker. With so many unanswered questions, she decides the only way she'll be able to find peace is if she can finally uncover the truth, even if it means having to face truths about herself that she might rather stay buried. I feel Epstein was incredibly successful in unsettling readers with this one. Either that or I'm a complete wimp. It could be a bit of both. It was, it was scary. It was unpredictable and kept you guessing until the end. Um, not suitable for younger readers um, because of the scary elements and it's, it's a bit of a mind bender, but it's a really good one. The Last Night at Circle Cinema. Um, themes of friendship, grief, suicide, depression, and Schrodinger's cat. Told from three different perspectives, Last Night at Circle Cinema explores one night, the night before graduation of three teens, Olivia Codman and Vitucci. Their lives are about to change, and all three are having trouble grappling with that while reflecting on their intense triangular friendship. At first, the obvious tension in the writing doesn't seem to make sense in the context of graduation and change, but it's not until you realise it's actually about depression and suicide and grief that the tone of the writing kind of aligns with your feelings. The intensity of teen emotions and the desire to run away from things you don't have the resources to cope with is a strong theme throughout. A mature read definitely has the feeling of a puzzle that's not quite matching up until the end while also being an interesting commentary on depression. Losing the girl. I'm not very uh, familiar with the graphic novel genre, so I wasn't sure what to expect from this one, particularly because it's marketed to older readers. It follows four teens. Um, Marinoni explores teen <coughs> issues such as relationships, loss of virginity, friendships, family dynamics, depression, and there's also a character who gets an abortion. It's not graphic, but it's, it can be controversial. The overall style of language is very simple, so it's good for mature students who might not think they like reading. The subplot of the potential alien abduction of one of the kids' peers successfully demonstrates how caught up teens can get in their own lives and miss a lot about the world around them. It's the first of the series and I'm really keen to see where this one goes. And I stopped somewhere. And this one was confronting. Um, Carter tackles rape culture and sexual violence with inside and empathy and as a result it's bleak, heartbreaking, most of the time helpful hopeless, but really well done. 
It's my instinct to protect students from some of the harrowing themes from young adult literature, but um, uh, reassessing this, we had um, Robert Newton speak last year at one of our secondary forums, and um, he really thinks you should give kids the benefit of the doubt and maybe give them a bit more credit and assume that they might actually be exposed to some of these things in their home lives. So I think about that a lot, and that's probably the only reason this one's here, because it's full on. Um, the story explores the fallout of a rape and murder from perspective, the perspective of dead Ellie, who's waiting around for her body to be discovered. She can revisit places from when she was alive, her school, the police station, her father and the abandoned house where she was killed, and her rapist and brother still bring unsuspecting girls. We get a glimpse into the media's coverage of the missing persons case, as well as two girls who've come forward to accuse the, the boys of rape. We witness the conversations between Ellie's peers, highlighting the idea of the victim blaming and the, the protection Caleb gets from coming from a privileged background. We see how lawyers position the jury so that the victim is on trial, not the accused. There's a lot in here and Carter manages to achieve this without erasing Ellie and without falling into cliches. Definitely, definitely one for older students. It's harrowing, but it's really well done. writing by Bryce Corbett. I don't know if you know Turia Pitt, you would have seen her and heard her story. This is the Young Readers edition of the book and it is an extraordinary story. She is an extraordinary woman. Um, and what I loved about this book is that it can be read in that upper primary uh, and lower secondary kind of, right up to middle secondary because she is absolutely inspiring. Her resilience, her determination, her hopefulness, her frankness about how bloody hard this road to recovery has been is absolutely astounding and I feel like it's not a book for girls, it is a book for um, just readers who are um, looking for some inspiration, looking for some aspiration. She is an extraordinary person and this book doesn't hold back but it, it is a very, very hopeful book. I loved it. She's terrific. I am Sasha. Some of you might have seen this already. Um, this is based on a true story um, in German-occupied Poland in 1942, um, and it's about the time when they were coming to look for um, boys, basically to take them away to kill them. So this mother goes to extraordinary lengths to um, turn her young son into a young woman, and they survive um, as a result of that. It's remarkable. It's um, it's, it's different to other Holocaust stories in that the, you know, the story is based on true events um, and she, Anita, is a relative of um, the survivors. So um, upper primary, lower to middle secondary, um, war, Holocaust survival themes. Oh, whoops, I forgot to put Stone Girl up there. Mm -hmm. This is Stone Girl by Eleni Howe. This is another quite gritty young adult book, also based on um, on her life, um, or, or on the, the kind of um, upbringing that she had. She was a foster child and she was made a ward of the state. So it's not her story, but it's based on the facts of her life. Um, again, a 12-year-old protagonist, but it is for, definitely for young adult readers. But it is beautifully written. She, um, Eleni 
has grown up to become a writer, a journalist, and a very successful person with a very happy family life. But everything, everything that happened to her from um, a 12-year-old onwards, when she was thrown into um, this, you know, these extraordinary circumstances, mixing with other kids who were introducing her to drugs, and you would expect for her to be in a hopeless situation. Again, a very, very hopeful um, book. A very, very extraordinary story. I just wanted to read a, a quote. Um, sorry, I've gone off my notes now, so I have not go over. I think you are. Um, and then he says, I was one of the lucky ones because I got out. I went back to school and struggled my way out of the margins of society. I became a journalist and tried to research and prove all I knew was broken with the system. Um, unspeakable event changes everything for her. No mum, school or bed or home. She's made a water state and grows up in a volatile world where kids make their own rules. Adults don't count and the only constant is change. This is about resilience, survival, hope. There are drug references. It's gritty, as I said, it's for 14 plus. It doesn't shy away from um, very real issues. And I just wanted to add um, a slide with some um, picture books that I think it could be used across a number of year levels in both primary and secondary. The pink hat, most of you will know now that this picture book um, celebrates the um, 2017 Women's March. It's charming, it's empowering, it is um, a book for um, young and budding feminists and I think it's a, it's a lovely story if you're allowed to have it in your library. <laughs> Um, it's about finding your voice, it's about advocacy, it's about identity. I also wanted to include the very charming Omar's Buttons, which is about um, family and a beautiful relationship between a granddaughter and a grandmother. I am a huge Aaron Becker fan, so if you know Aaron Becker's work, you, you, might know, you will know his um, trilogy that is Journey. He writes wordless picture books, um, A Stone for Sasha, not quite out yet, but um, Oh, actually, no, out this month, I think. And I'm sorry we don't have it here because I added these at the last minute, but you can add it to your order form if you like and we'll get it for you. Um, it's a book about grief um, and a beautiful, beautiful story. And there's lots on... Uh, he's been um, kind of um, talking about it and um, doing little audiovisual things on, on Twitter and really kind of showcasing this new book so there's lots of multimedia kind of resources that you could use when you're talking about that book. But it's it's not just for young readers. That is a book for readers of all ages and, and a lovely one for visual literacy. Never Lose Hope, another convict story. Most of you will know award-winning Mark Wilson. That is a beautiful book. Um, and The Silver Sea by Jane Godwin and Alison Webster um, and the Children from the Royal Children's Hospital. It's a um, book that is raising funds for the Royal Children's Hospital and a beautiful book about imagination and extending your boundaries and, and just finding your way. And the incredible Freedom Machines, again, you know the award-winning um, illustrator Matt Otley and Kiralee Saunders is the author. That is also a beautiful book about imagination, finding your way and finding out who you are too. Again, I really feel like um, there's lots of opportunities with picture books like that in secondary um, to explore the illustrations, to explore the beautiful themes. Um, that's who we are. Thank you very much for having us as ever, Dr Lamarca. Thank you very much, everyone. I know that was an absolutely world, you know, whirlwind tour, but I think we covered so much and some fantastic ideas. So I hope you go away with something that you'll find really useful. 